We are looking at Hebrews chapter 11, standing on the shoulders of giants. We're looking at the different people that we'll be talking about over the next eight or nine weeks. But also just a reminder for any church, any organization, any, any church group like Graceland Baptist Church, the things that we do now and in the future really have their bases in some things that have gone on in the past. So we look at the past ministries. You're enrolled inside that. Many of you were here part of that with Pastor Markham when he was here as pastor and the other pastors since then and, and the legacy that we build on, right? The faith of those who have <clears throat> come before us so that uh, we, will a- we are able to grow in that faith and be able to build on top of that. And that really is the focus of what we'll be talking about over the next several weeks. How do we, how do we grow in our own Christ-likeness out of what has gone on in the past to move us to greater things in the future? Now, when we look at this passage today, in Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to start reading at verse 19. And verse 19, if you have your Bible with you or there's a Bible in the pew in front of you, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to take that one uh, as our gift to you. If you have a phone or iPad, whatever you're using today, we're going to be teaching through this passage. So I, I see this more as a teaching time, a teaching passage where we really begin to connect what happens on the resurrection and what happens in our lives as we are building and growing in our faithfulness to the Lord. And we do that by looking at chapter 10, starting at verse 19. So I'll read some of that, and then we'll look at it. It is in your listening guide today. There's some blanks that you'll fill in as we walk through this passage, pretty much just kind of walking through it to see what it has to say to us today. But let's start, and I will read verse 19 through verse 25. He says here, Therefore, brothers and sisters, therefore, brethren, since we have this confidence to enter the most holy place through the blood of Jesus... He has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our faith without wavering, since he who promised is faithful." And let us watch out for one another to provoke love or to stir up love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now we're going to look at this passage this morning and we're going to talk about what this says to us as we recognize that we are creating a new normal. A new normal is the word that we have titled this sermon, introducing a new normal. And that's what really the resurrection did for us. It produced a new normal. In the early part of chapter 10 of Hebrews, we have not read that. He starts this phrase in verse 19 by saying, therefore. Now, obviously, when the writer says, therefore, you always have to ask the question, why is that therefore? And so it always has to do with what comes before it, right? So in the first part of chapter 10, The writer, Paul, has been talking about the understanding of this new sacrifice, that the sacrifice given through Christ was sufficient. 
It was superior. Matter of fact, the entire book of Hebrews has to do with the superior view of who Christ is. The understanding that the sacrifice, starting in chapter 10, when he talks about that, was greater than any of the sacrifices in the Old Testament, was the last of the sacrifices. There is no other sacrifice needed. Uh, matter of fact, that's, that's a, a great point of this entire chapter, that the sacrifice for our sin has been paid. And he's going to then come to where we are today with some practical application. How does that practically apply to you as a follower of Christ? How does that practically connect to you and how you live out this new normal in your life? New normals always happen for us. Probably the greatest one that we can think of is 9-11, right? I remember a time before 9-11 when you could go to the airport and you could, you could go out to the gate and you could say goodbye to those people who were getting on the plane, whoever that was, you could go walk out to the gate with them. If they arrived, you could go out to the gate and meet them, right? And welcome them back home, whatever. You, you had that freedom to do that. Well, when 9-11 happened, obviously there's a new normal. You can't do that anymore. Everything changed. Now, in all of our lives, we have new normals. It may be for you that you've lost a spouse. Over a number of years, you were married, and all of a sudden, your spouse isn't there. And now it's a new normal. How do you connect to that? How do you relate in life? For some, it's, it's divorce. Going through what it means to have a husband or a wife for a number of years, raising kids, or in the middle of, of kids being raised, and, and someone steps away for whatever reason. And now there's this new normal that comes into your life that you have to deal with. For some, it may be an, an empty nest role where all of a sudden you have kids and all of a sudden they're, they're gone, they're out of the house, and that, that whole understanding of relationships and what that looks like. So new normals happen to all of us, right? But in the reality of God's word, the new normal really happened for us as believers when Christ paid the ultimate sacrifice, and Paul gets to that. So let's get back to this passage. If you have your listening guide, you can fill in the notes as we go. First of all, he says, brethren, brothers or sisters, since we have this confidence, we have a new confidence. That's the first word we want to look at. This glorious intercession that Jesus has providing for us is going to provide for us this new confidence confidence. And, and we would ask that question, how does that relate to you as a believer? Do you have that new confidence because of who Christ is in your life? That's what he leads us to. And he calls us brethren here, brothers and sisters may be in your translation. Brothers and sisters has to do that he is encouraging the Hebrew believers to understand that they are part of the family of God. He's doing it really in two forms in this word. He is saying brothers to encourage them, he's using the word brethren, which has inclusive of brothers and sisters. And he uses that to say that if you are of the household of God, if you have accepted the sacrifice, then you are part of the family of God. Now, the reverse is also true of that. And he would get to that at the last part of chapter 10, which we won't be able to look at today, but I encourage you to go read that at some point because it's an incredible, scary kind of warning to people. But he would say, if you're not part of the brethren, or if you're a brethren who is not doing these things, you need to evaluate if you are a brother or sister. But he starts the text by saying, therefore, brothers, brothers and sisters, brethren, you have this confidence, this new confidence in Christ. Why do you have this new confidence? Well, the new confidence that you have in Christ is your relationship to God. It's a relationship that you now have to God that you could never have had before. 
In the Old Testament, there was not this kind of relationship. There was not this kind of understanding that you had the privilege of going into the presence of God. That's what he says, this boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Christ. Now, this holy place that he's talking about, it's been talked about, debated, what is this holy place? Oftentimes, we think is the church as the sanctuary. That is not what he's talking about. You see, friends, the building itself is not the church. There's nothing about this building that is a church. Now, in our vernacular and what we talk about, we're going to the church or we're going to Graceland Baptist Church, we're going to the church building, but the Bible never teaches us that a building, a place, is the church. The church is God's people. You are the church. You are the person of God. So when you look at this passage and you begin to say, what is he talking about here when he says that we have the confidence to enter the most holy by the blood of Christ? He's talking about the relationship that the Spirit of God has come into your life and that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying to us that we have the privilege as believers of having communion with Christ who is in us. He has taken up residence in our life as a believer, and therefore we have a boldness to come to the Spirit that is in us. The boldness word that he talks about here is all about relationship. The President of the United States has a son, and, and I can't imagine the conversation that they have. If I were to meet the President of the United States, I would have a completely different relationship than his son has with him. Why? Because of the relationship they have. It's father and son. The Queen of England has a complete... If I were to meet the Queen of England, can't imagine what that would be like, how I would, how I would respond to her. Well, she has sons and grandsons. How they respond to her is very different than how I would respond to her because of their relationship to her. And so in this passage, when I have a relationship with a father through Christ, who is in me by the power of the Holy Spirit, how I respond to that is of utmost importance. And we respond to that out of a boldness, out of a confidence. The Bible would teach us to pray in confidence, to come to him in confidence, to speak out about who he is as we witness to other people in confidence of who Christ is in us. So we have a new confidence. Second, we have a new course. He tells us in this verse that he has inaugurated, he has started something, he has opened up. The word here is is the idea of, of a complete newness. He has opened up for us, Jesus, because of his blood, because of his body, because of the veil being torn, he has opened up for us this new way, he says, through the curtain. That is his body. Now, the curtain he refers to goes back to Matthew. You'll remember at the time of the crucifixion, the Bible teaches us that the veil that separated the holy of holies that the priests would go through was torn from top to bottom. And he's referencing that right here. He's helping us. He's helping the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, as well as those who were not Jewish people, who had little understanding about priesthood and what it meant, to understand that there is a new way, there is a new course that every person has to the Father. And it is the way of Christ. It is the new and living way is what he calls it. A new and Jesus said, I am the way. He is the new and living way. So there's only one course to get us into that presence. And if you are a believer in Christ, you have that course. A few weeks ago, Elizabeth and I went to um, 
Charlotte to visit our daughter-in-law and son who's over there. And we, it was raining. We were going to have a, a day out Friday, and we didn't really know what to do. So we discovered that the Charlotte Motor Speedway had a tour. I'm not a huge NASCAR fan. I've watched a few of them and know some of the people. So we decided, let's go to uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway and do the tour. And it was super fun. We had a great time doing that. And one of the things we learned on our tour was that the Charlotte Motor Speedway, which I thought was just a big oval, which seats, by the way, 170,000 people, which is just mind-boggling. They have 70,000 parking spaces. Hard to believe. We have 600 and something. You know, we deal with parking, and I think, what was that like? But anyway, uh, while we're taking this tour, he shows us the speedway. We're out in this van, and he shows us how they can make the speedway different. They can close off parts of it. They can open parts of it. You know, I just thought it was a big oval, but there are intersecting rows. There are other parts of it. They can actually have seven different configurations on that course, depending on what it is, you know, what race they're having. I just thought that was so cool. They had, they had different courses. And I, I thought of that when I, when I read this. Now, by the way, we had so much fun. We got to get in a van going around the oval track at 100 miles an hour. It was amazing. It was, it was a lot of fun. Elizabeth, not so much. We have a picture of her just kind of like gripping the back of the seat saying, what am I doing in the van here? But we did have a good time. But the point of that is that when we come to Christ, there's only one course. There's only one way. And he has opened that up for us as believers, right? He's opened that up for us as, and that's what he's talking to. He's talking to us who are believers. So we have a new confidence. We have a new course. And then, of course, he tells us in this next verse, in verse 21, if you look at that, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, this high priest is Jesus, right? He is the new champion. There is no... You know, in NASCAR, they, they race, and every year they, they have a new champion. When In NCAA basketball, every year they have a new champion, right? And in, in, in boxing, every so often the champion is beating, there's a new champion. In this case, he's telling us our great high priest, there is no other champion. He is the only one we have. And as believers, as Christians, that becomes vital then to how we live out our lives, on what we do, on how we respond. So he would tell us in verse 21, look again, since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Let me read this verse for you from Hebrews chapter 3. He tells us in verse 6, but Christ was faithful as a son over his household. Get this, listen closely. We are the household if we hold on to the confidence and the hope in which we boast. You see what he says right there? When he says that we, he is the great high priest over the household of God, you are the household of God. You individually, we, it's not a building, it's not a place, it's not a group even in this. You are the household of God. You are the temple of God in which the Holy Spirit lives. And here he says that you have a champion over your household. When you're dealing with problems and when you're dealing with struggles and when you're dealing with, with all the things that go on in your life, well, why? Why don't see it as, as in my household, I have a champion. It's not on me to try to come up with all the answers. It's not on me to fix everything. God is here for me. Now, he takes this to the next level. 
We're going to look at this because then in verse 22, he, he goes just a little bit deeper into what you and I must do as followers of Christ. He gives us three things in these next three verses that become vital to how we live out our Christian life and grow inside that. Now, over the next several weeks, we'll take these verses and we will look at the champions of chapter 11, and we will see how the champions of chapter 11 lived these out. But here they are. The first one is get close. He tells us in this next verse, in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Let us draw near. The idea here is that he is speaking to us about our personal devotion and relationship to God. Here's what the writer is saying. If you are talking about being a person of God, and you say that Jesus has paid my sacrifice, and I'm going to worship him on Easter Sunday, then he would say to you, then you must draw near to him in personal devotion. It then changes everything about us, because we draw near to him, he would say. We come closer to him and who he is. Now, in the Old Testament, you'll remember that several places in the Old Testament, but specifically about Mount Sinai, right? When, when Moses was going to Mount Sinai, God said specifically, don't draw near to me. He said it, and actually in several other places, don't draw near, don't come close. Be afraid of what God, is. you can't see the face of God. Here, it's just the opposite. Here, he's just changed that. Because, see, Jesus broke down the curtain. The veil is open. The personal relationship that he wants with us, that he demands from us. He would say that we get close, that we draw near. Now, he doesn't leave us with just, hey, you ought to draw near. He tells us how to draw near. This gets really frustrating because you, you, you like it better when somebody just gives you the big principle and say, well, just draw near. You know, it'd be better if you draw near. But here, he says, here's how you do it, right? Here's what, here's what you're designed to do. He says, come with a sincere heart. Now, you can read this passage. Draw near with a true heart, a sincere heart. And that word has everything to do with dependency. When we're depending upon ourselves, we have missed what it means to draw near with a clean heart. Because here, it's about depending upon God. The second thing he says is come with full assurance, Full assurance means that it is my complete source of everything I need. Now, a great illustration of that is, is, is God's Word itself. It is the source that teaches us. Sometimes we read self-help books. We try to listen to people who give us encouragement. You know, we try to listen to some people who tell us that, you know, every day is a Friday. And it's like, it's not. It's not how it works. There are struggles in our life, right, that we go through. It's just not how it works. But here he says, God is the source, the Bible so instead of reading books sometime that are self-help, there's nothing wrong with reading books or watching TV shows, nothing wrong with those things. But when we put those in front of the resource or the source, then we're in trouble. And that's what he's teaching us here, that there must become a point in our time where our full assurance of faith is an understanding that our never-ending source is the Spirit of God from the Word of God. It is the written truth word that can speak into our lives. Third, he says, come with a clean heart. A clean heart has to do completely with the understanding that we, have, we are set free. Read that verse. Come with a clean heart, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. He is saying that in our minds, in, our, in what we do, 
our hearts should be clean. Our hearts should be free from all the things that trap us by sin. That's what he's saying. We don't have the freedom as believers to say, I can do what I want to do. I can sin where I want to sin. I can treat my spouse this way or I can say this to this person. We don't have that freedom. We are free in Christ because God has forgiven us of our sin, but he would say here to us that our freedom is only to have a clear conscience, a righteousness that comes from Christ, but lived out in what we do. Fourth, he would say, come with a washed body. Now that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Come with washed in pure water. Some would say this has a reference to baptism, that, you know, as you saw this uh, young lady baptized today, what a great testimony, she was immersed down in the water. And that's the idea of immersion, that we as Baptists believe from a standpoint of regenerational baptism, that you're immersed to be baptized because it's a symbolism of Christ being immersed and raised up a pure, righteous person. That's what he talks about here. The purity that he's talking about is life change that we are cleansed, we have a life change. As a Christian, as a follower of Christ, who celebrates the resurrection, if there's no life change, then you got to ask the question, can he call you brother? If there's no life change, is he going to be able to speak to you as sister? Because he would tell us that when, when we understand that we're getting close to him, it is with dependency, it's with understanding his source, it's with a freedom from our guilt, and it's with life change on how we live our lives. Third, or second, I'm sorry. Get close is the first one. Second, he would tell us to hang on. Let us hold fast. Let us grip, is the word that he's using here. Let us grip onto this confession of our hope. A confession, it has to do with perseverance, right? It has to do with living out our lives by holding on to what we know to be the truth. We just can't be tossed to and fro, as James would say. You just can't be tossed by everything that goes on because a person who says, man, I am in Christ, my life is in Christ, I understand the resurrection, I understand the forgiveness, and inside that I am holding on to my hope, my confession of my hope. Now, a big part of this is confession. A big part of this is, is talking about the hope that is in you the people that you meet. You know, you don't have to go out and be able to broadcast with a megaphone who Christ is and how people need to be saved. You know, that whole idea, you got to go out on the street corner and scream out to them, turn or burn kind of thing. That's, that's not what we have to do. But he tells us that we have to have a confession of our hope so that when people are talking about our lives, our confession is not our ability, not our strength, not what we have. Our confession is the hope that is in Christ because that is all that we have. So he tells us, get close, hold on. And then the third thing that he tells us in verse 24, he says, keep it real. Let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. Let us, he says, consider how we, your translation might say, stir up each other or spur one another on or motivate another person or stimulate another person. The whole idea here is that you have a responsibility to those around you. Now, the word that he used here oftentimes has to do with that idea. And maybe in your translation it uses the word, um, the, the uses a, a phrase as he calls it that we are to spur one another on. Well, you know where it comes from for our English word. It's that we get it 
from that whole idea of, of prodding something or poking something. Uh, the best illustration that you can think about that is a, uh, an old Western movie, right? Or even now, if you go to a rodeo and you have somebody who's riding on the horse and they're trying to get the horse to, you know, to move forward, what do they have on? They have spurs on their boots, right? And those spurs are just a little thing that kind of pokes in the side of the horse to make them move. That's what he's talking about, that we are to spur each other on, to stimulate each other, and he tells us to what we are to stimulate each other to do. Right there in the passage, you want to look for it. He says we're, we're spurring each other on, as he tells us, one another to love, so we are keeping it real in the way we love, and in the way we act, which is good deeds. And remember, it's not a salvation passage. He's not saying your good deeds give you salvation. He is simply saying, because you say that you have a high priest that has torn down the veil, because you come and sing about it and talk about it, then it becomes your life action to live it out. And not only yours alone, but when you see a brother or a sister who is not loving, who is not doing these things, not staying close, not hanging on, it becomes our responsibility to be able to say, man, let me help you with how you love. Let me help you with how you're acting. A third part of that, he would go on to say, not neglecting together together. So you're building community. Now, sometimes we say, man, people are not just coming to church. This is not about coming to church. It's about how you have relationship with other people. It's about people that you know, your family members, or, or people maybe they're in a group with you. It's not just about coming into a building on Sunday morning. It is so much more than that. It is how we live out our lives every day, everywhere we go. Because the whole idea is that, that God has not just centered himself in a building, but God has centered himself in a temple. And you are the temple. So where you go is the presence of God. Who you talk to is the presence of God. How you deal with people is the presence of God. Now, now that becomes a question too, right? How do, we, how do we do that? How do we live that out? But he tells us that we need to keep it real in the way we love and the way we act in building community and by encouraging each other. See, you're doing these things not out of any way to harm a person, but to encourage them so that they will... They will get to the place where they're drawing near and where they're persevering. This is a fabulous passage, and I'm, I wish we had a whole lot more time because there's so many details to what the writer says in these few verses. The latter verses after this, he gives a great warning. Just a simple statement that he gives in this warning as he says in verse 26, for if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for us. Man, those are tough words. However, he has just told us that the sacrifice has been there for us, that we have accepted that sacrifice, and now we live that out if we are the brethren. So the question is simple today. If you are a brethren, if you are a brother and sister in Christ, how does this passage spur you on to draw near to God, to hold on, and to consider helping others. If you're not a brethren, if you're not a brother and sister, man, we would say to you, Christ loves you so much. And the freedom that you can have from your own guilt and sin is 
so before you. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to be a follower of Christ, that you might have a new and living way. You see, for all of us, it means not what we do inside the building on Sunday morning. It means what we do when we live out our faith 167 hours a week. Maybe 166. You said there are only 168 hours in a week. And we might be in here for two of them. It's the other 166 that make a difference. How your family sees you, how your friends see you, how your coworkers see you, how your classmates see you, how people around you see you, that makes the difference. And if we're going to be a body of believers who makes an impact in our community of seeing people come to Christ and spurring other people on, it's going to be as we as believers say, it's us, it's on us. And God has given us a new and living way. And we're following that way.